Hi, I'm Catherine. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and I'm Taiwanese American. And I think that LA is the greatest city in the world. That's Catherine from M24. This week, we're diving deep into Catherine's story on humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva a podcast that captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Gabriel, and today I'll be sitting down with Catherine Chang from M24. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Gabriel. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, thank you for joining us today. I'm super excited to have you and also very curious to understand why do you think LA is the greatest city <laughs> in the world? I can certainly say that that's a hot take. Yeah, I mean... I'm not biased or anything, but I, I grew up in L.A. I was born there and all my greatest memories are from L.A. And also the food is the best and there are just so many different people there and you have the ocean and you have mountains and everything you need in one city. So it's the best. <laughs> Now I feel robbed because I was the entire first year in SF and I did not go to L.A. Oh my gosh, you have to go to L.A. <laughs> I always heard like mixed reviews of it. Some people love it, some people hate it. But I'm I'm feeling it, you know. You just sold it to me. If you tell me there is, you know, diverse people, good food, beaches and mountain, that's that's quite the, yeah. you know, the experience. I mean I'm not I'm not biased or anything, but you have to go. And I don't I don't know why people don't like it. It's it's what's not to love there. I cannot answer that one. So I'll have to ask our listeners, what is that not to love in LA? Actually don't answer that. <laughs> Let's not break Catherine's dreams. Let's just believe it's the greatest city in the world. <laughs> Catherine, you give me such a bubbly nice vibe and I'm wondering what is the first thing people might find annoying if they spend an entire week with you. I think the most annoying thing would just be how slowly I eat. I literally t can take like an hour to finish a huge apple and it frustrates me. Like at one point my jaw just like doesn't want to move anymore <laughs> from all the chewing. So definitely meal times with me are many, many hours. Yeah. <laughs> and that's super funny because is that because you eat a lot that's one of my assumptions Catherine is just someone who likes her food or is it because you actually eat super slowly it's both which is like horrible <laughs> because I eat insanely an insanely amount of food and and I think I just like tend to eat more because I'm vegan so I eat a lot of just like fruits and vegetables which like you can just keep eating forever and also I eat like a turtle i'm so slow and every time i'm eating with my friends they finish like an hour before me and i'm still just like chewing but yeah. uh, that's so cute i'm vegan and I'm, i'm claiming that now i'm gonna tell people hey i'm eating slowly and a lot because i'm vegan yeah. <laughs> and another note i noticed and you know this might be my impression you seem very artsy if there was a museum about you what would be featured that there like what songs items pictures anything that you think could be cool to kind of show who is Catherine I love that question um and yeah I wouldn't pitch myself as the artsiest person alive but I definitely enjoy the arts um I grew up in a liberal arts school system so I'm definitely very exposed to that 
I suck at the STEM majors of anything, like sciences and math, like don't talk to me about them. And so, yeah, I think the museum would definitely feature a lot of musical references. I love music. I love making it. I love playing instruments and just I connect with people very deeply through music. And to me, music is such a universal language that really opens up different cultures without understanding their spoken language so that's what i love so much about music so there would be a musical section there would also be a section on just like physical health and sports because i grew up playing volleyball along with many other sports and that that was always my form of both stress relief but also making new friends so i definitely learned a lot about adversity through sports and then another section would just be like purely fashion and design and arts and anything like creative arts and crafts and yeah just anything that is really um random but aesthetically pleasing but also that's very subjective so who knows <laughs> that sounds like a really cool museum i have lots of questions but one of the questions that i'm very curious is that you mentioned that you went to a liberal arts high school called Waldorf. What does that look like? What does that even mean, actually, in a high school setting? Yeah, so I actually transferred to Waldorf in third grade, so I was nine, and I stayed there until graduation of high school. And I guess the, the whole thing is about um, exploring who you are as a human being in the world through nature, through exploring with the different things that happen in nature and also I guess like interaction with people and a lot of the learning was very hands-on we for example learn languages through singing or dancing or um, we have handwork classes we have uh, woodworking stuff so everything is basically the students learning and implementing what they learn with their hands and making everything themselves. So it was a really nice cultivating environment for me to find who I am more and also interact with the world through that. That sounds really incredible, uh, to be honest, like growing up in that kind of environment. I'm wondering, how did you guys fit the different uh, subjects? So were you able to still wrestle with these more traditional, I guess, subjects in this um, liberal arts way of doing things uh, with your hands and nature. A typical day for a Waldorf student would be the first one and a half or one hour and 45 minutes in the morning would be main lesson and these main lessons would focus on the same topic for a month. So each month would have like one month could have physics, one month could have handworking, one could be Spanish history or something. And um, so you would have that session in the morning and then a short break. And then you would have these periods like normal schools. And we did have typical English, math, um, those type of classes as well. But I think the main difference was just how they were taught and how students were prompted to interact with the subject they're learning about. Because a lot of traditional American schools focus on just basically channeling the information to the kids, making them read through textbooks and just memorizing that. 
And that doesn't really impact the students both because they are not really passionate about something and also because they don't get the opportunity to really apply that in life. And what I'm really grateful for at Waldorf is that we learn English, for example, we learn grammatical things and we then kind of, for example, do a role play where we talk with each other in the correct grammatical form or not, and you kind of make it into a fun activity. Or for um, Japanese and Spanish learning, which we had up until high school, that was very fueled by just learning about the culture, like at Minerva as well, and kind of just yeah, like having fun doing it, throwing beanbags around. And if you catch the beanbag, you have to say one phrase in Japanese that you remember or answering a question that the teacher asks. So it was definitely not traditional, but I would say a far more effective way of teaching children at a young age how to learn about things and really use that in, in their lives. That's incredible. Um, I actually today just... Um took some classes for one of my friends who is an English teacher here in Brazil and that's one of my favorite things to do with children is to actually bring uh, the content in a way that makes sense the way they live their lives so most often than not we're playing games and we're playing games in where they're practicing things that they actually could use um, and a lot of times it's hard to fit that into what Brazilian schools want students to learn in every grade but I always feel it's rewarding because the students live there with at least a few phrases that they know they can use or think about in their daily life. Um, and they also have a nice experience with the language, which I think is so important. And I think having the nice experience with learning might be such a big thing for us, right? I think so many of us are, you know, scared with certain subjects just because of the way we learn them. I'm wondering how did that impact you growing up and who you became as a person? It definitely played a huge role in forming who I am. And I think the biggest thing was just the emphasis that Waldorf had on in-person interaction and truly making every interaction you have with someone meaningful and caring about them as a person and being in the moment and acknowledging that you're both human, you're experiencing the world on your own paths and connecting at that very moment. And I think that has definitely allowed me to transfer that in all areas of my life where not only do I care about them as a human, but I also see how their relationship with me can be grown into relationships with other people, for example, or how we can make each other's lives more more amazing, I guess, by just having this connection. Oftentimes I encounter people who I find harder to connect with simply because they are so caught up in their jobs, for example, or their objectives that it's hard to really bring them down to that one moment that I'm looking for to connect to them with. I think Waldorf has really helped me in being able to acknowledge that and be aware enough to know what stage of mind someone is in and match them on that level and help them bring that moment back to how we're interacting and really focusing on the care for each other as a human and just valuing that connection. Because honestly, like everything that goes on in life, it's meaningless unless you have connections with people, unless you genuinely care about each other and 
put effort into fostering that connection. So I think Waldorf has really taught me to keep this this value of human nature. And also just the amount of things I've learned to make myself, like I can literally, I would literally survive well in the wild if I were abandoned there. But so that's like a side perk. <laughs> that sounds incredible, Catherine. Just listening to you say how you value connecting with people as humans. I think it's so easy nowadays and especially as we enter college and the professional world to just be so worried about what's happening next how am i going to reach that next goal you know and we we can so easily get trapped into the competitive uh feeling that job markets and everything have and we have to reach higher and higher and higher that i think it's incredible that you actually learn to just stop and connect with people right now as humans i wanted to also add a really good example of how waldorf fostered that and for For example, every week on Thursdays, we had council circle, which is one period of the day where we sit down in a literal circle and we light a candle in the middle of the circle on a table and we pass around a talking piece, which is usually a crystal or a rock. And during that time, the teacher prompts a question and says, oh, like, how are you this week? Or what do you think has been the biggest change of you this year after this semester or something and we all go around and talk and everything that we say stays in the circle like that's the rule so um, everyone talks about that and for example also if two people are in a fight and the teacher knows about it she will prompt and say do you choose to talk it out right now and basically share all your feelings and just let things pass and if they choose to they can both just go into the middle of the circle talk to each other out in a very well constructive way and then that basically helps both people resolve something and i think that helped a lot of people in increasing their emotional quotient and understanding for people because in life we deal with so many difficult situations and individuals that sometimes people who aren't as used to this are find it really difficult to deal with that and kind of freeze up and don't know how to react but i think waldorf's really helped me realize that these interactions happen with everyone it's normal we're human and kind of help me how to deal with that in a very constructive way so i think that helped me better understand people and just know that we're all human and they're going through something that i'm not and if you just talk and are transparent and gentle with each other then everything will be okay Uh, that's so cool. I'm like, can I go back? <laughs> can I change my high school and, and go to Waldorf school? I've only seen that in movies and that sounds really incredible to be able to actually practice this, to connect with people, to talk things out. I think that sets a really good bedrock for whatever you're going to do in the future because we're always going to be in relationship with people. Exactly. As you talk about this and you talk about relationship, I I'm wondering how your school life in a Waldorf school fits with the other pieces of your life. Uh, you mentioned before that you were Taiwanese-American and I'm just wondering how was that growing up? Yeah, so my parents were the first ones in my family to move to America and because they moved at such a young age compared to many people now I think they are well accustomed to America and American living. Um, so my sister and I grew up in a very Asian-American household, you would say. 
Like at home, we spoke either Mandarin or Taiwanese only, and it was kind of more loosened up as we were older, and we spoke Chinglish, which is like Mandarin and English mixed. But yeah, when we were younger, it was definitely just strictly Mandarin or Taiwanese, and we also attended school with our Buddhist foundation, which was focused solely on developing our cultural. Um, our cultural values and our speaking skills and writing and reading skills of Mandarin. So, uh, in more practical terms, that's what was like. That's what it was like growing up. But yeah, culturally, I'm really, I'm honestly really lucky because my dad and mom both focus and value that human connection that I was talking about earlier a lot, and I think they're definitely affected by their upbringings because Taiwan, as it is part of Asia, they're more conservative and traditional and really strict and rigid with how they raise their children, how they expect their children to live, and and essentially all the etiquette and mannerisms of life. And I think they really saw how they were affected emotionally and mentally from this type of upbringing. So they wanted to ensure that both me and my sister have a really liberal and open-minded environment to grow up in and be able to explore ourselves the way we want to. And in relation to Waldorf, my parents. Really believed that transferring us from a public elementary school to Waldorf would be super beneficial, exactly because they wanted us to grow up as people who cared about others and for the world, and really want us to know where we can make a difference by knowing ourselves first. So, in understanding what we want and who we are as people and how we interact with people, we can then provide. Good for the world, which is essentially what my parents love. And、um, I grew up Tibetan Buddhist as well, and so my parents really valued the the idea of bringing bringing more or bringing less suffering to the world as much as you can. So they really tried to emphasize that to us growing up. That's beautiful. That's so interesting to see how your parents were able to actually think through their own experience and kind of say, "Okay, there are some things we don't want to reproduce." I think that takes such a such a big leap of self awareness into trusting their own gut feeling and and giving you guys space to explore things.、Um, that's really really interesting. And I'm wondering how was it for you、uh, growing up dealing. With living in the U.S. and it seems like you're also very connected with、um, Taiwanese culture. Did you ever feel like there was a dichotomy, or were you able to really integrate that and actually just you know have this more mesh identity? Yeah, I I love talking about my different stances on me being Taiwanese American because I've honestly changed so much in how I see my identity. Like when I was younger, I my school was. Predominantly Caucasian, so I was surrounded by anyone that, like, no one looked like me or had the culture like me. So, I felt very ostracized and unable to relate to their upbringings. And when I was younger, then I would always try to hide my Asianness, my Taiwanese cultural background. And until I think high school was when I really appreciated how rich my own culture was and. 
how in learning about my culture, I can relate to my elderlies more, my grandma, my parents, and through them also, I can learn about how they were growing up in Taiwan. And so, yeah, in high school, I really learned to love Taiwan. And now I'm at a very balanced point in my life, I think, where I genuinely appreciate the best of both worlds because I can choose, I'm blessed enough to have both cultures in my life where I can choose the values and practices that matter most to me and match and align with who I want to be. So I can really just like pick the ones that I want to implement in my own life and use that, which is like, I'm so blessed and privileged to be able to have that. So yeah, I, I genuinely am super grateful for both cultures in my life and learn from the practices that I don't really agree with as much, but I'm still proud to have in my life. That's incredible. I think that's really special to be able to think through this two worlds we could call, and I'm sure there are uh, overlaps in them for sure, but actually just be able to think, well, what all, all of these actually align most with my values, with the values that I have developed in school, at home, in life, and whatever makes most sense that came from it and what I want to stay with me. And talking about staying with you, what is uh, a piece of advice that has stuck with you throughout your journey? Yeah, so... I look up to my dad a lot, first of all, and I admire him from every point, every cell in my body. And I, I really value how wise he is and how well composed he's able to think about everything in life. So I can't really choose one of the two that he tells me all the time, but so I'll just say both of them. The first one is <laughs> just telling me in every situation that's hard, that this too shall pass. And he comes from a very Buddhist impermanence point of view where he's just reminding me that everything in life is impermanent, which brings me to the other thing he tells me all the time, which is the only permanence in life is impermanence. And that really has stuck with me throughout every hardship in my life, where if I feel myself entering into a rut and just really like spiraling down in a negative way, I remind myself that this will all pass and that nothing is forever and worrying about this right now will neither help nor get it over quicker. So just acknowledging that this is temporary and that everything will move on really helps me. And one example in my life that I've really took this advice to heart was when I started college before Minerva, I was at another college doing a dental program and I was really having a miserable time because it was kind of like a sudden decision to start studying dentistry, even though I've wanted to study philosophy or English literature growing up. And I was just really miserable. I was doing it honestly, just for the social status in the future and saying, oh, like, if I study dentistry, I will definitely be set for the rest of my life or the amount of social connections I'll have is unthinkable. But my dad noticed that and brought it up to me and said, Catherine, this isn't what you wanted at all. This, you wanted to study English literature 
but you're literally studying sciences at a college for a major you don't even enjoy. And the only reason you're doing this is probably for pride, I'm guessing. So why don't you just take a step back, really evaluate what you want and what you value in life and take a year off. Like dropping out is like, it's socially looked down upon, but it's honestly gonna help you so much and happiness and health above anything else. So that, that moment really reminded me of both his advice that everything is temporary and also that you should really just take your time and not be in a rush for things. So yeah, I also, after that, spent a gap year in Taiwan, which helped me bring myself closer to my family and my cultural roots. So that was really beautiful. Oh, Catherine, I feel so cheesy right now. I'm like, I'm so grateful to hear that. That's so cute. That's incredible. That's really, really cute. That's such a good reminder to stop. Um, we're so rushed so many times, and I feel that so much. As I've gone through my journey at Minerva, so many times I catch myself feeling so rushed. And giving ourselves the time to just stop, take a step back, and actually evaluate what are we doing and why we're doing those things. That sounds really, really hard, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, and I think there's such a culture at Minerva to always be pushed to rush, to always be on top of your stuff and be really in the know of what you're going to do right now or what, you're, what you'll do next. And I think it's really important for especially Minervans to take a step back and know that even if they don't get all fours on an assignment or that they're not constantly studying, it's really okay to just sit back, accept what you've got and be proud of yourself and grateful for your mind and your body for giving you the ability to just be here right now and just taking it chill like it's after all it's just grades and and what really matters is the connections you make with people i love that so when do you feel the most yourself given all of this I feel the most myself when I am both with my family, but also doing the things I love and particularly playing volleyball or doing random arts and crafts or just stress baking. I think being able to have time for both being alone and just baking bread as a therapy or talking with my dad about how his life growing up in Taiwan and then in America was. That really makes me feel well connected to who I am and what I value in life and also knowing where I come from. Mm, that's really cool. I'm curious then to take a step back and think what would you do if you didn't need to make money? And is that something that you're trying to align actually with the reality of life that you might need to make money? Of course, it's inevitable that we have to make money in life, but I definitely have learned to value the happiness I find out of what I do a lot more. And for example, growing up, my grandparents have kind of nudged me sometimes to either be a lawyer or a dentist or, or an accountant because it's very typical Asian roles, but um, I've, I've kind of realized that it doesn't matter unless you're truly happy. And 
the best thing you could do is to be able to find something you're really happy in and then learn how to monetize that because I mean yeah you need money but also like why why not be happy when you can be happy doing something you love that makes lots of sense and thinking of that what is an issue that you think you know big or small you would like to contribute so actually two come to mind one of them is more lifestyle ethics oriented which is the issue of animal treatment in the world i'm vegan because i genuinely love animals so much and i feel so sad that they're so exploited in the world and yeah i i think just me as a person i talk about animal ethics so much that I'm slowly just like, you know, converting people's minds or even just nudging them a little or planting a seed for how they rethink their lifestyles in relation to animal treatment. And also I make like hella bomb vegan food for people, which kind of helps. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm so bad at cooking vegan food to people. No, oh my gosh. We can do like a cute vegan bake-off together and then we can like make food together. <laughs> I'm excited oh for gosh. that. But sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. No, that's no, okay. Another issue I can definitely or hope to make a change in is the issue of feminine care and valuing the female body through different products or methods of awareness or learning simply about how the female body functions and in particular just the female cycle and menstrual cycles and how important that is to observe as someone in a female body and i think i'm a very open person i'm very transparent i basically have no filter but i think it has helped me spark conversations with people about how how the social constructs they've experienced growing up really kind of blocks their ability to talk about things even though it's not even that taboo to talk about for example periods or um body odor or just like normal bodily functions but close friends know that i talk about this way too much but um <laughs> yeah like i love the femtech industry i love just talking about periods about anything going on and stuff. And right now I'm actually working with a company called Keg. They have a product that is a fertility tracking device and it tracks cervical fluid changes in female bodies to identify fertile windows and basically tell you when you're fertile and when you could have ovulated or what your cycles look like so you can better understand who you are when you're in these phases for example like appetite changes or moods or anything like that that sounds fascinating um personally growing up in brazil i don't think i got the best sex ed growing up at school and i think one of the big things that i wish i had learned better was just you know how different bodies function and how it is important for us you know for all of us actually to understand and normalize these conversations they had this idea in brazil to segregate a lot of these conversations so i i would get information only about the male body and only how we work and i think that kind of excludes such a big part of what it is living in relationship with people who have different bodies and who live in different bodies than you and just normalizing it all and not thinking of it as a funny thing you know like in, in sex ed we'd all laugh when the the female body for example was mentioned in boy session and all of that um so i think it's really special i think 
first and foremost for people living in female bodies to be able to understand themselves and, and all of that. But I think for society as a whole, I think when we get to understand each other better, I think th things have so much potential to change in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I totally relate with the different perceptions of it because when I talk to my family in Taiwan about issues like this, they're definitely so horrified of like talking about it and they think it's like so taboo and they're like, oh my gosh, why are we even talking about this? And it should be like super shamed and hidden. So it's definitely both saddening but also motivating to want to implement a change to the system. That's super cool. I want to move on to a fast fire round of questions, but I'm curious to hear your answers. So what is one of your favorite songs, artists, movie, books? My favorite book ever is The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, and I've read it nine times. Nine times? Yeah. <laughs> give us three, give us like three words that you think could capture a little bit of what it is. Reality, thought-provoking, I guess that was two, but the third one would be relatable. Going to my list. Going to my Goodreads. Yes, you have to. Um, <laughs> book or ebook? Definitely book. I think also just Minerva has traumatized me for reading so much. I've just been kind of um, going to ebooks more, but definitely books. I like touching the pages. <laughs> Makes sense. Dogs or cats? Definitely dogs. What is your word of the day? My word of the day is impermanence because of that conversation we had about my dad. But yes, nothing in life is forever. So just move on and take a chill pill. Catherine, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming, for being vulnerable. I felt so connected to you through the way you were talking. So much of what you're saying was so relatable and I think I can definitely... Uh, digest and think again of what we talked and kind of apply through the moment I'm going to. And I think that's so special. So thank you, thank you so much for coming. I'm wondering what is the best way for our audience to reach out to you if they want to connect or if they have follow-up questions. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much. I've loved talking with you. You're like such sweet vibes. And yeah, you can reach me on Telegram or the community portal or anything. I don't have any social media. Um, I do have TikTok, though, but don't go there. And <laughs> um, yeah, like Telegram or just email, anything. I'm like up for grabs. Yes. Awesome. Once again, thank you, Catherine. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you, Gabriel. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofminerva.podcast for all the latest updates and announcements. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Lucille Glassman, for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva.